The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org or in person at Citizen, our nonprofit coffee shop and program space at 3636A North Mississippi Avenue. I'm Molly Jean Bennett. This week on the show, we have five short documentaries by former Media Institute students. Four of them were produced this summer as part of our summer documentary program. We'll hear portraits of Rahab's sisters, Bus Riders Unite, Community Cycling Center, and City Repair Project. But first, we have a story from Radio U alum Amy Craig. Cairo's PDX is a nonprofit focused on closing racial achievement and opportunity gaps for students of color, specifically African American students. Their biggest undertaking has been the creation of a K 4 school in Northeast Portland. It's a charter school, which means that it has a special relationship to the school district. It receives less funding per student than other public schools, but is given more autonomy to meet its mission. Charter schools have to regularly demonstrate their value to the school board in order to continue to serve students. Here's Amy's story. My name is Kittist Hammerly, and I am a first and second grade teacher at Kairos. I know my experience, both on a K-12 and a college level, was that diversity or people of color were considered an asset to educating white students and preparing white students for a global, quote-unquote, and diverse world. And the difference at Kairos is we are really rooted in educating students of color and really closing the racial achievement gap and creating a space that is for students of color in a way that values and affirms and supports their cultural and social, emotional, and academic needs. You know, love and care is a protective factor for all children. And when you create loving and caring spaces for children, their brains actually are activated by it. They work better, and so they learn better. And we don't have those spaces right now. My name is Kali Thornlad. I'm executive director of Kairos PDX, and I'm a co-founder. Kairos PDX also runs programs for very young children and their caregivers. They advocate for policies at the state and local level and provide trainings for other educators. All of their work is focused on closing racial achievement and opportunity gaps. But right now, they're unsure of where they'll have the space to do their work. The building that houses the Learning Academy, Humboldt Elementary School, is a Portland Public Schools building. Kairos is a charter school. The school board is currently in the process of making changes to school boundaries, and the first version of the plans didn't have a place for Kairos. When I walk into the Portland Public Schools District Office building on a Monday evening, employees are frantically setting out more chairs and trying to find the microphones. Apparently, a lot more people showed up for this enrollment and forecasting committee meeting than they anticipated. Part of the discussion this evening is the proposal to move Access Academy into the building that currently houses Kairos PDX. Access is a program for students who are deemed talented and gifted and aren't being served well in another school. According to data from last year, Access's student population is about 70% white. Kairos' student population is about 54% African-American. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Dante James. I am the director of the City of Portland's Office of Equity and Human Rights. 
Dante cited a quote by PPS spokesman Dave Northfield. He said, the district understands that this looks strange for a district emphasizing equity and closing the achievement gap and that Kairos has been so successful. We hope that Kairos is successful wherever they are and we understand the implications of gentrification. So let me just say, first of all, that is condescending and just outrageous. And if you spit in my face and tell me it's raining, it's still spit. It's painful to me because, like, we have a system that has not supported children to succeed in life, and, and that's terrible. And um, it seems to me that when a program is focused on righting that wrong, focused on finding solutions, problem solving, and figuring out how do we support these kids better. If I was a district and I like, met that program, I'd want to bend over backwards to find out what is it they're doing? How do we partner with you? How do we make this happen? It is so short-sighted to focus on, well, they're a charter. Okay, well, they're PPS kids. The school board held multiple listening sessions to hear from the community about the proposal to change school boundaries. At the session I attended on another Monday evening, there were a number of Cairo students around the perimeter of the room in their school uniforms. Some families held up signs, and many wore Cairo shirts. Um, it's difficult when you are a person of color, especially a young person of color. Data shows that children at a very young age, before kindergarten, start to identify race and color categories. Last year, our daughter said she wanted to be white, and I asked her, why? Why she wanted to identify as white? And she said, because everyone else is. Kairos gives her a place that affirms her. I, I've seen this change in her. I've seen this growth and development. I have a student right now, and she's reading at a much higher level than um, many of the peers in her grade, and I'm looking for chapter books for her, and it's hard to find chapter books with protagonists of color. Um, and I found a few for her, and she was so excited to me. She said, Miss Kittis, I love you because now I've read two books that are about black girls. And on the one hand, that fills me with joy. And on another, that makes me, it makes my heart break because that is unacceptable that she can only have read two books about black girls. And so to me, it just speaks to the need for more spaces like Kairos that are doing this work. That was Kiddist, the Kairos teacher again. And here's Deanna Wesson-Mitchell, the parent of a second grader. I, I went to Portland Public Schools, and I've got a, a long understanding of how inequitable the school system is for children of color, specifically African-American boys. The school, board, school district has been making promises to fix this since I was in high school, and I graduated from Jefferson in 1992. It's been a long time, and I, we shouldn't have to keep waiting. Here's Rita Moore. She's one of the seven directors on the PPS school board. She spoke at that same committee meeting you heard earlier. This district is a mess. We've got to fix it. And if it means that we need to move programs, well then, we got to move programs. And we have never before had a charter school who was given a building. This is unprecedented. It was intended to be short-term. If it's going to be anything other than short-term, then we need to talk. We need to have some serious conversations. And here's Kali again, the executive director of Kairos. 
you know, I was thinking about the civil rights movement and the fact that um, there were a lot of laws about, you know, we couldn't drink at the same drinking fountains and we couldn't do certain things. And if it weren't for people saying, that law is no good, we would have never had the civil rights movement. So this is not about, like, legally what should they do for a charter. This is about what's the right thing to do for a school of kids that we have not served well. And the fact that that is missed, it's just like this is a civil rights issue in the same way. And I think our community is saying we're not going to drink from this different water fountain. Like we deserve, our kids deserve fairness and they deserve to be treated with respect and they deserved, deserve a building. And we're standing on that. <laughs> story was produced by Amy Craig. Since the meetings in this story took place, the PPS school board has held additional listening sessions, and Mayor Ted Wheeler has come out in support of letting Kairos stay in their space. However, the future of the school remains uncertain as PPS continues to discuss boundaries for the next school year. Next on the show, producer Atlas Finch brings us a story on the City Repair Project. Orange carrots. Beauty and all around. Summer and hot. Good feelings. The orange. Red rose. Pumpkin. The red rose of Portland. Birds. Salmon. Girl riding a bike. Fall. The neighborhood. Humid summer day. Blue. Portland goodness. So for me personally, it's the red rose. The red rose of Portland. I was actually the person to paint it originally on the first time we painted the mural. Um, it just says beauty and summer and Portland goodness. I like the orange because I love fall and I helped uh, with the salmons, coloring the salmons and the pumpkins and the orange carrots up there. <laughs> I always see the blue and kind of how it just, the street color also kind of fades into it. So it almost kind of like pleasantly sneaks up to you. And I always notice the birds and the, on the other side there's a, I think it's a little girl riding a bike and it just makes me think of the neighborhood. Uh, good feelings all around. This is the work of the City Repair Project, beginning with the painting of the Southeast 9th Avenue and Sherrod Street intersection in 1996. They've been painting intersections around Portland. I just remember it was an incredibly hot, humid summer day, bent over with the reflection of the heat coming off of the concrete, and I was having a blast. All the neighbors were out here, kids were running around, spreading paint on the little sneakers everywhere, um, people laughing, having fun, coming together as a community. So it was, it was a ball. I don't spend much time in intersections. When I do, I'm looking at a traffic light, checking the crossroad for cars, or rushing to get out of it. As a society, we hate intersections. We act as though the option to change direction is as dangerous as change itself. Whether we're choosing our favorite color, our major, or our political leaning, we act as though we can't go on living without either going straight, right, or left. But when examining the philosophies about change and decision-making surrounding us, one might find that we're often encouraged to do quite the opposite of our gut instinct. We hear quotes like Robert H. Schuler's never make your most important decisions when you are in your worst moods. 
wait. So I'm standing in this intersection in the northeastern side of Portland, Oregon, and I find myself staring not at a street sign, not down the crossroad, but at my feet. Because underneath them is a sort of miniature modern marvel. For the first time in my life, I'm staring at an intersection. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Next, we'll hear about Rahabe's sisters. Producer Kiana Colser brings us a story. Tonight. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. Rahabe's Sisters is an organization run by women for women. Every Friday night, a group of volunteers gathers here at St. Peter and Paul Episcopal Church to offer radical hospitality to women in Portland who have been affected by the sex industry, domestic violence, poverty, substance abuse, and homelessness. The executive director, Annalisa, walked me through the process as she and the other volunteers set up to serve the weekly meal. We have meal teams for each Friday and we have team leads for each Friday. And volunteers, we try to have people come consistently. It's really just trying to build this community of women who are marginalized and mainstream women coming together. When women come over, they get to sit down and be served like as if they're yeah. at a restaurant. Pulled pork sandwiches? Yeah. Then um, they fill out sheets for hygiene supplies and things they might they might need, and a volunteer will take that sheet and go fill that for them. At seven o'clock, the doors open and the first guests make their way to the church. Pretty soon, the room is full of women gathered at different tables, talking and laughing with each other as they eat. It's so nice to come in here and just let loose and just know that. If you need to talk to somebody, you can. That's Christy. She's been a regular at Rahab's for about three years. There's a good energy or positive experience flowing around. I, I really enjoy that piece. It's like serenity. You don't have to come in and feel tense and nervous. You don't have to worry about somebody placing judgment on you or bringing their problems at you. I think as an organization, we've helped build community specifically by just accepting every single guest that, that comes in without judgment. That was Crystal Kordowski, the chair of Rahab Sisters. But one thing that we really focus on is the connection with our guests, that that is our mission, because we really believe that that is what helps change the world, is human connection, especially in this time of craziness. One of the main ways to help create that connection and sense of community is through different activities planned each week, such as coloring, yoga, free haircuts, and even pedicures. It's amazing to see a volunteer at a guest's at their feet. The guests never get the opportunity to sit in proximity above someone else, so it's a really beautiful thing. Sometimes they have what they call foot care, and I'm in need of it. I hide my feet. <laughs> Um, the one gal that does that, her name's Kelly, and she's so awesome. I like it when she's able to do my feet because it's nice talking to her. She's so, so easy going and relaxed and looking out for everybody. Just such a great reprieve. I, I, I don't, you know, I have a caseworker, but she's always busy. Even when I want to, like, say hi, she doesn't have time for it. Here, it's not, it's not like that. Out of everything that's, uh, that's going on, it's like the one nice break out of the whole week. As it nears 10 o'clock, the room grows quieter as the guests start leaving and volunteers pack to-go boxes for late arrivals, saying goodbye to each other until the next Friday.
And a lot of people ask me, because of the name being uh, from the Bible, if we're trying to save women or preach, and I'm always like, no, we're not equipped to try to save anybody. Everybody that walks through that door, including myself, is just trying to survive. Uh, a lot of the guests are just trying to survive. A lot of our volunteers having a open door to bounce ideas off of for endless resources and get some uh, unconditional love and a hot meal to go with it means the world to, I think, pretty much the whole organization. Next up is a segment about Bus Riders Unite, a local advocacy organization seeking transit justice. Producer Maddie Stapleton took an in-depth look at the personal struggles and joys of life as a Portland transit rider. She talked to Bus Riders Unite members as they battle TriMet for the right to a low-income fare. I've been uh, with Bus Riders Unite for seven years, when I f- was first introduced to this work, a person asked me on the bus, do you have anything to say about transit? And I says, do you have enough time? And I'm still not done talking about it. You know, it's, there's still work to be done. Bus Riders Unite has been organizing in Portland since 2010. They saw that TriMet was not considering community needs, so they decided to take matters into their own hands. We believe in our community being involved in these processes um, because oftentimes our folks are the ones that are historically been left out. They have led many successful campaigns that have improved the lives of transit riders. For example, since 2016, their focus has been on establishing a low-income fare. It would mean that people nearing the poverty line could qualify for a discounted bus pass. But in order to truly understand this organization, it's best to start with the unique nature of how most members got involved in the first place. Uh, My name is Nicole Phillips. Um, Most people, or a lot of people call me Nick. Um, I had an incident on TriMet for not having correct fare. What ended up happening is I got pulled off the train he wrote me a ticket. He wasn't polite. I thought he was needlessly rude, needlessly brusque. And I realized I'd left my bag on the train. I was so mad. I had I'd bought some lamb <laughs> and a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and I'd had a beautiful day and they were just ruining my day. <laughs> but yeah, it was probably a week later. I was making my regular little errand run on Saturday morning. And Opal, the folks from Bus Riders Unite, happened to be out organizing. So uh, first Saturday bus organizing is how we help engage our communities. At first I was like, well, hmm, I just met some people on the bus. <laughs> uh, but one individual can't talk to all the people that use transit, so uh, we try to recruit as many as, uh, volunteers to come. And eventually they got me out of the bus organizing people. 
It's now four years later, and Nick is still out on the buses every first Saturday asking people about their experiences. What she can't stop hearing is that many Portlanders need a low-income fare to be available to them. A lot of people probably don't understand, like, just that little small change can make a really big difference for a lot of people. So, it's going to go through, or yeah. it's pretty much going to find a way to the governor. BRU's hard work paid off. Uh, this July... TriMet released a transportation package that included a low-income fare for transit riders. But the next day, when BRU leaders gathered around to discuss TriMet's plan, something didn't seem quite right. Did y'all see, like, when TriMet was thinking of implementing low-income fare? Mm-mm. Oh, 2019. You're mid- kidding! Mid-2019. Oh. Mid-2019. So that's like two years. Two years from now. Why so long? So that's the next part of the campaign. Like, we, we're not going to wait that long. They have their work cut out for them, but organizers like these never fail to keep the bigger picture in mind. We have a vision, uh, a long-term vision, of what our transportation system can look like. Uh, what we see is like a, a fareless transportation system that is inclusive, that is safe for everybody. Each of our campaigns is moving us in that direction, it's moving us one step closer towards achieving that dream. Our final story today is from producer Theo Morris. Here's his report on the Community Cycling Center. Portland, Oregon is agreed to be the nation's most bikeable city, and this may be given the 315 miles of bikeways throughout the city, as well as the bike parking posts that line every block. However, even though the city may be accessible to bikes, are the bikes accessible to people? I visited the Community Cycling Center, a local organization on the corner of Northeast Alberta and 17th that is dedicated to giving people equal opportunities to bicycles. Ira Dixon, the programs manager at CCC, talk to me about the different barriers to biking that he comes across in the community. We'll go into community rooms at apartment buildings and people will talk to us and they'll say everything from like, I just haven't ridden a bike in 20 years, or I have bad balance or bad equilibrium, or I'm afraid, I'm afraid to fall off my bike. But the most significant barrier, it turned out, was money. People might be able to afford a bike, but then they can't afford the lock, you know what I mean? And then maybe they can't afford the lights and then maybe they need to repair like new tires or new patch and stuff like that. So like that's another barrier is cost. The main community outreach program the CCC is running right now is the summer bike camp for kids in first through eighth grade. I was curious as to how this fit in with the CCC's mission. So I spoke with Jake Shore, the manager of the camp. A lot of what they learn is traffic safety skills. Um, there's some mechanical skills that they'll learn depending on which group they're in, so they'll like dive more deeply into the mechanics of the bike um, and go through each of the different mechanical systems on the bike and talk about that and practice uh, working on it. I talked to Ira about the camp as well, and he remembered a specific time that he thought it had really made a difference in kids' lives. Those students at the beginning of the school year were just kind of learning each at their own pace and in their own way, but at the end of that bike club, they were like completely in tune with each other. They were riding in super straight lines. They were all signaling. 
they were all communicating. Can you talk a little bit more about what you think like the lasting success of this bike club program was for these students? I think, oh man, I really hope that youth get on bikes and stay on bikes. It's good for your physical health. It also gives you some independence and some range. You know, when you're on a bicycle, you can go as far as your legs will, will take you. For instance, somebody who's in like a neighborhood that's been neglected or underserved, there's no job opportunities there for them. And no businesses want to come into the neighborhood. So what they do is they get on a bike maybe, and then they go and find opportunities that would be beyond walking distance. Maybe they find educational opportunities, you know. But what about buses, public transportation? Aren't these affordable ways that people can escape their neighborhoods and feel comfortable getting around the city? TriMet, Portland's local transit organization, has even started low-income fare programs, which help low-income individuals access transit. But Iris still thinks there's more to consider. Non-English speaking, people might not want to get on the bus and get lost somewhere, but maybe you give them a bike and then they every day go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And that's like, that's a sense of freedom. I'm Theo Morris, now back to the desk. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is supported by Coalition Brewing, located at 2705 Southeast Ankeny in inner Southeast Portland. Their tasting room is open to the public each weekend. They define their beers with balance and drinkability. Look for Space Fruit Citrus IPA, King Kitty Northwest Red, Two Flowers CBD IPA, and rotating seasonal and specialty brews on tap in your local bar and in bottles in many fine local and regional retailers. Coalition Brewing, community through beer. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change in KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is Molly Jean Bennett. Emily Curtis is our associate producer. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where our handle is Nonprofit Hour. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to molly at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in, and cheers!